it's not often that you have line of sight blocking terrain that blocks line of sight between the players. Welcome to episode 44 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I'm Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Dave Barker. Hello. And, returning once again, Adam Boise. Hi guys, nice to see you. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do so by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So yeah, welcome back Adam. First of all, really, it's been a, what, nearly a year now since we last had you on? Yeah, at least a year. Sorry, it's been so long. I'm, yeah, good to be back. <laughs> You've been busy planning uh, schemes lasting generations or at least twelve months. That's it. Plan twelve cunts in the making. <laughs> <laughs> um, Danny, it's it's good to have you back on. Uh, and in particular, we've got you on for a, a very particular episode and a very particular reason because you're going to be involved in telling us all about your experiences, aren't you, at the. Uh, Crucible of War this last weekend. Absolutely. So yeah, um, it's actually going to be a little interesting tonight because um, it's going to be something a bit different for us because we're going to have quite a sort of open discussion uh, topic tonight. So it's actually going to have a bit more of a feel similar to our casual conversations episodes, um, that, which are part of our like Patreon bonuses. So we're going to be discussing tonight basically the experiences that both Dave and Adam here had at the Crucible of War this past weekend. Um, and obviously my perspective as well as the event organizer for it all. So for those of you that may not be aware, or perhaps this is the first episode that you're tuning into of the uh, the podcast, but the, uh, the Crucible of War was the first ever narrative wargamer um, like event day. Um, I hesitate to use the word tournament because, as you will discover and no doubt expect from the narrative Wargamer, <laughs> uh, it was not in any way a competitive event, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a lot of fun. Um, and basically, it was a huge success, as far as I can tell, um, given all the positive feedback I've had from it. And uh, we always planned to do an episode following it up to talk about uh, how it went. And have uh, people on who had attended and discuss uh, the games they played and just their thoughts on the event as a whole. And uh, as I say, hopefully, these two had positive experiences and they're going to tell me about it tonight. Otherwise, 
they've planned to come on and just roast me horribly about it without telling me. <laughs> That's your job as a tournament organiser is just take all the positive and negative feedback in your stride, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. Like I say, I'm genuinely open to uh, any criticism people had, but I honestly haven't received any yet. I've just received various forms of positive feedback, which is just amazing, and I think everyone has had a great time. So, so let me be constructive. The only negative point that I saw, Tony, <laughs> was you, you were in a bit of a flap at the start. What was going on? <laughs> a little bit of a flap. Yeah. Well, do you mean I was just running around between, between all the tables trying to sort everything out? Uh, you didn't seem ready to start on time. Well, it was just a matter of getting sorted. Um, we had a few people, you know, running um, delayed. Um, I, for one, am people... glad you weren't ready to start on time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we only it was only about 10, 15 minutes behind schedule. Yeah, yeah. And one of the positive things was that we made that time back up by the end of the day. Um, and was certainly one of the uh, sort of like little learning points that I've had, because this is also the first time I organised the tournament itself, you know, or any sort of like scheduled event. Um, but yeah. Basically, part it of it was because, yeah, one wasn't <laughs> Um but two, it was because of having to allow for travel time to get there myself, and when they could open the doors to let me in to, you know, help set tables up and stuff, I just had to uh, run around getting missions printed off and checking all the tables were set up and getting objective markers in places for things, because as you'll probably learn um, all of those missions and all those different tables were quite bespoke and uh, I had to go through them all making sure that everything was set up correctly to create as much ease of time for the players when they actually got to the tables. Um, so yeah, like I say, well, it's, it, it's a, it was an interesting experience certainly and um, we'll we'll touch on it a bit more um, in our sort of main discussion point later on. But um, yeah, basically it was <laughs> because... Uh, a lot of things to do in very little time, Dave. That's why. Yeah, no, no, it's all cool. I was uh, more worried about you than the rest of us. <laughs> I was going to say, um, you know, you guys are all having a great time. <laughs> it was, and, it, and it might have seemed a little bit of a flap to you, I can imagine, but it was very much just getting through a big list of things that needed to be done as quickly as possible. <laughs> it was quite funny coming in, getting my bearings, and everyone's just standing around chatting, and there's one mad guy running around the background, <laughs> just <laughs> placing things down and frantically measuring things. <laughs> it was certainly, to one extent, a one-man show. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's see. We'll, uh, we'll see whether or not that is the case in future events. We'll see. Um, yes, but before we dive into sort of the whole topic as a whole then um just a couple of announcements first of all um since the last show since it has been you know about um about six weeks i think or so since last episode went out which is partly due because one i went for a house move in that time so uh, the show was very much going to probably uh, skip an episode or so just to the time constraints between you know moving an entire household and family and getting reset up again in a, and in a position to record again um since the move we have put out a new episode of casual conversations for our patrons so that is up there to go check out so you would have had something to uh, mull over in the meantime if you've access to our patreon episodes um if you haven't go check them out and uh, if you sign up to the patreon there's i think about about eight more episodes like bonus episodes on there now over the last year um to enjoy so they're a lot of fun um but secondly the 
most of the week previous to this one was spent doing the like the fine tuning and the admin for this event so what would normally have been my first opportunity to do an episode for the show was spent doing the uh, the pre-organization and prep work for the crucible of war that following weekend the crucible so, of war itself was just a uh, the prep work from all of us to, to do this episode right <laughs> kind of <laughs> um I'm pretty sure in that case, then your prep work was far more <laughs> enjoyable and less intensive than mine. Mostly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't enjoy it though. It was great. I loved absolutely every minute of it. Yep. But in addition, in that time, uh, we have had a brand new Patreon join us as well. So I'd like to shout out a big thank you to Mr. Anthony Hinkle for joining us. And uh, yeah, he's again one of these uh, fellows who's discovered the show and thrown himself in with a. Uh, great enthusiasm <laughs> it seems like he's immediately jumped into uh, going through the backlog of casual conversation episodes he's been active in the facebook group and uh, he's even jumped on the discord as well so yeah a big thank you to anthony and uh, we look forward to hearing from more of you and engaging with more of you so yeah thank you yeah welcome forward to um and then additionally to sort of follow up from the uh public service announcement as it were from the previous episode uh, say about sort of six seven weeks back so we've we've had some sort of movement as it were from games workshop in terms of the crusade mission packs so last episode we mentioned how they'd all moved to last chance to buy with the exception of laws of faith which was the most recent uh, crusade mission pack now i as you can probably guess from listening to the show in the past, I've been a big advocate of these Crusade Mission Packs. I think they are great. I think they have been one of the best resources for narrative gameplay that Games Workshop has been putting out throughout 9th edition. Um, and sadly, at this mo- at time of recording, um, Wars of Faith has also now passed through Last Chance to Buy and is seemingly no longer available on the Games Workshop website. Um, all the previous mission packs have also moved along with some of like the previous warzone books and so on to again no longer been available on the games workshop website um and just this weekend um literally yesterday the latest warzone mission uh, the latest warzone supplement rift war uh, went on pre-order and for the first time there has not been an accompanying crusade uh, crusade mission pack released alongside it um so unfortunately i think this is a little bit of a shame and a bit of a something i just wanted to mention to people because at this moment in time you'll probably find there are still third-party stockists out there who have copies of these possibly even you know local gaming stores that have got copies of these mission packs on the shelves or in their backlog or you know wherever and um if you want to look for any of them um, you might now have a little bit of a window to still try and pick these up from, say, third-party stockists and so on. But they're going to get harder and harder to get hold of um, if we don't see reprints of them any time in the future from Games Workshop. And I think it will be a crying shame if people miss the opportunity to get them who wanted them. Yeah, I think if you can get a copy, if you haven't already, they really are worthwhile if you enjoy the narrative gaming side of things. I've certainly seen it at our club. Crusade has been more than half of what people were playing as we got back after lockdown. They were keen to get back in and tell the stories about their armies, see what happens on the tabletop with them, and if 
of them. And I've seen people start new armies just to, to be able to run through some of the Crusade material. And at the same time, you got the frustration from like guard players who've not had the proper Crusade stuff even in their, their rule books yet, and, and this stuff's starting to go out. So I think it's a real shame that they doesn't seem to be following up. And I, I don't think it's been given a chance. I suspect it. There may be a decision about it's had its chance in the cycle, but I don't think it's had a fair chance because of COVID. And where it has, I, I've seen an awful lot of uptake of it uh, within our club uh, and with other people online talking about it as well. Not just in in uh, in our Facebook, group, of course. Yeah, and um, like you say, I hadn't sort of really considered that point that you know these Crusade mission packs have sort of moved to out of rotation before even every army has had its own bespoke Crusade rules to play with. But right, right. yeah, that's um, that's a, a really valid point. They haven't um, had an army over an arm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that too. But maybe they're but, um, maybe they're gearing up for something amazing yeah i mean that that's the thing isn't it yeah that's the thing i i like to think i am kind of an optimist at heart and i do like to think that this is more them taking a pause to brainstorm new ideas because i did comment when we did our episode on wars of faith that one i thought it was amazing and one of the best you know like game supplements they've released for this edition and part of that was because it felt like something genuinely new like I've I've been playing the game for a lot of editions now, you know, as has as has Dave, <laughs> um, and I have in editions past seen the likes of Planet Strike and multiplayer games and Apocalypse and stuff like that. You know, like these things have existed, um, and if anything, the one that hasn't made its way into a Crusade mission pack rotation yet was um, Death from the Skies. Basically, yes. the sort of like dogfighting, you know, um, mechanics. Um, which, funnily enough, I really, really enjoyed the 8th edition version of um, Death from the Skies rules, and they're still usable in 9th if you wanted to use them, because they're completely compatible. We talked about that on a previous podcast, haven't we? Yeah. Um, so I was anticipating perhaps that might have been what we saw in the next one, um, or one of the future ones, but obviously it hasn't come to pass immediately, but I'm hoping maybe this is just a chance to brainstorm some new ideas, because, like I say, it was faith with the whole belief system and idols and paragons i felt was genuinely something new for the first time in a long time um and i thought that was great and a, a sign that they really were putting some thought and you know resources into creating these mission packs so then to see the next release not include one um it has surprised me a little bit um, and i'm hoping it is just a matter of they're taking a pause to contemplate what to do next as opposed to deciding not to do anything anymore. And if anybody from Games Workshop does actually listen to this, which, you know, <laughs> I'm not optimistic of that, but if you'd like to make a statement on what's happening with them in the future, we'd be more than happy to take your exclusive interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I, I would love to know. Um, but, yeah, so, like I say, just there probably is a, a closing window at this point in time where you can still pick these up from third party uh, stockists and I would highly advise going and trying to get them if you can and you want them because it's probably going to get harder and eBay prices are only going to go up um, but on the flip side of that um, since we had a bit of a, an extended gap between episodes um, the 
uh, sort of schedule for the upcoming episodes is starting to fill out now and there's plans at some point to do a segment talking about the new Tempest of War deck. Um, but until such time as we get around to be able to fit it in, I just want to say here and now that um, it is great and you should go give it a try and in an almost reverse sort of um, explanation for the usual things we talk about on here, if you're a dedicated narrative player and you tend to be shunning away from something that has affiliations with match play, I would highly suggest going and getting Tempest of War deck and giving it a try because actually it is a lot more fun and a lot more varied and has a lot of sort of innate storytelling to it that um, the other typical forms of match play stuff don't have. And I don't think you should shy away from it because it's tagged as being a new form of match play. I bought my copy this week and I'm really, really, really looking forward to playing it. I've been typically playing open world card games um, for like, I don't know, the last year or so just because they're easy to pick up and they, they seem to write a good story for me. Um, so I'm really looking forward to playing Tempest of War. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, a, it's very much a sort of new um, child of Maelstrom of War and Open War, uh, sort of mixed together in yeah. something a little different to what we've seen before but also pretty great it feels like it's got um a lot of the um good concepts of milstrom of war without being too drunken commander <laughs> as it is known um sometimes like noticeably like my one particular favorite uh change to it is the dropping of the go capture objective number x objective yeah. because everybody to the I... left side of the board everybody to the right side of the board <laughs> Yeah, now everybody go back to where you were two turns ago. You know, like that was the thing that I think made it feel a little too um, unpredictable in its own way. But yeah, but say we'll we will plan to do an actual segment um, on a future show talking about it because even though um, it has been sort of billed as a more alternate to matched play, um, I actually think it's probably um, in that sort of crossover point between. Um, matched play and casual play and i uh, i think people should definitely go check it out i was interested uh, to see that on uh, friday night at our club we got two we had one table booked by two returning players to 40k one he'd not been for a long time and he'd more or less forgotten everything about it and wanted a reintro game another guy had not played for three or four years and was trying to get into ninth really uh, but he remembered a lot of it and he'd obviously done a lot more prep and and they used them just to give themselves a mission so they didn't have to just pick one out of the book uh, and to make it more interesting and they were really enjoying using it so that's the first time i've seen it used in the wild <laughs> as it were um and it was they were obviously having a great time with it so uh yeah seems to work for, for everybody at all levels as well is uh, what i thought yeah i mean i have to say that on this occasion i was really surprised in a good way by the amount of coverage that this thing actually got by the other sort of content creators and quite often more traditionally match play channels um, right. out there, uh, especially considering how underbilled it was by Games Workshop themselves when it just randomly one weekend they just said, "Oh, we're releasing this new, um, you know, open war equivalent deck next weekend. Have fun with it." Yeah, it um, just appeared and... out of nowhere, didn't it? But all the battles I've seen with people using it have looked great. Yeah. And I think they are. So, yeah, like I say, we'll uh, we'll probably have a little bit of a deeper dive on it in the near future. Um, but for now, don't pass it by. You know, 
go pick it up and go start enjoying it and uh, see for yourself. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's probably everything for the sort of pre-show sort of intro stuff for tonight. So, um, because we're doing a bit more of a just open discussion tonight, and because as part of that we're going to be discussing various games played, um, we're not going to have a, a dedicated games played or Pin Station Garrison tonight. So we'll uh, we'll catch up on those probably maybe next episode. <laughs> depending if uh, how much content there is in uh, Rift War to cover. <laughs> we'll see. But right, we'll, uh, we'll be back in a second, guys. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on, and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram, at Narrative Wargamer, and over on Twitter, at Narrative40k, for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. You kids listen up now, listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he catches any of you without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides to the paint boy over at Narrative War Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Narrative War Painter is now open for painting commissions. Specialising in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at narrativewargamer. What did I say? Right, you kids. Get your loot in the truck and zog off to the pink boy. It better be ready and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them Red Tooth sent you. You might get some extra special. And we're back, guys. So, this basically, for the rest of the episode, is just going to be our sort of open discussion, really, all about the, uh, the Crucible of War event. So, um, both Adam and Dave here um, were fortunate enough to be there and play on the day. And um, in fact, I believe you even played each other, didn't you, in the first round? We did. <laughs> we did indeed. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but basically, I figured it would be really good for us to sort of, you know, we'll dive into um, each of the games that you played uh, in a little bit. Um, throughout all of this, we'll kind of intersperse it with sort of like my perspective on, from it as the event organizer, which I, I didn't play in it <laughs> on the day because I was, as you mentioned, very much running around a lot <laughs> from game to game or table to table, sort of checking in on everybody and organizing stuff from round to round. So uh, I, I, on this occasion, I certainly did not have time to uh, get involved in the gameplay myself. But that's fine because that wasn't what it was about for me. It was about providing the opportunity for everybody to come together and play 
um, this all all sort of like um, for themselves really and sort of experience my vision of what narrative play can be in uh, 40k at the moment. Did you uh, feel you missed out at all on, on not getting a game in, Tony? Because I know when I've organised, or helped organise with Katie and Dan and others, um, some fairly large tournaments in the past, we felt like we'd missed out from playing and we'll spend the next three or four weeks at our club uh, just playing solidly because we missed out. <laughs> so the funny thing is, I, I actually kind of feel like I didn't miss out simply because the games that people were playing there on the day were basically the kinds of games I play all the time. Like, that's, like, my standard approach to playing, you know, if I have, you know, Dan or, um, you know, my, my other friend round or whatever, you know, it'll be like, why don't we play this Crusade mission? Why don't we use this theatre of war? You know, basically pair something off in such a way that I think it's going to create a fun game. And I know that... Um, one mission in particular that was very well received all day, which was the, um, the pandemic locale mission, um, right. where people are searching objective markers to find which is the last remaining one as the source of this viral infection, um, was very, very popular and very well received. Um, the theater of war being the sort of like degrading viral effects that represent the different uh, like negative effects of this viral weapon. Um, in the area was um, quite often seemed very intimidating on the face of it but actually people said when it played out it wasn't as it didn't detract from the experience even though all its effects were negative effects because it was universally negative on everybody right um, and it wasn't so much so that it crippled armies it just made things like an interesting challenge in certain ways depending on which negative modifiers you know everybody was suffering from yes um but that in itself proved to be a really popular mission. Everybody who played it really absolutely loved it, and it came down to the wire almost every time. Um, and that is actually that was the last game of 40k that I personally played. I played exactly that mission with that phase of war um, just a couple of weeks before the event, um, and it's one that I'll probably play again because I think that setup is a uh, one of my sort of like favorite pairings of mission and environment I've. Uh, found so far and it's great so yeah i i honestly i i felt like i was more getting to share my usual gaming experience with people who that wasn't their normal experience so oh, i oh, super yeah it, it felt more like sharing the hobby love for me than sort of being jealous of people getting to play free games of 40k when i've been going through you know a house move in a big period of time where i've not been able to play <laughs> yeah no no that's really good um, but I, I was curious, um, from your perspectives, what was the sort of like build up and prep to the event like? Because this is something which, obviously, in terms of being on the show, we've discussed a little bit in ideas for probably a good six, possibly to 12 months even. But the actual bringing together of the show, actually, of the event, kind of all kicked off in January this year, didn't it? Really, it was. Yeah. I think when I first sort of mentioned it and we had dates proposed and officially tickets went up for sale on tabletop events. Yeah, my build-up was pretty much the same for most events that I go to. <laughs> it was a, a last-minute experience. Not in the sense that, I, you know, I bought a ticket and I was coming and I got the date of the diary and I cleared it with my wife to make sure it would all be good. 
so I knew I was coming. But in terms of preparing things, I knew I was going to bring my Rainbow Warriors. Exactly what force? I didn't know. But I knew if I was playing narrative, I wanted to bring an infantry heavy force, which is what I did. But um, as you'll already be aware, Tony, my, I suspect my list was one of the last ones. It, it was a bit last minute, and I got a couple of things wrong that you may be correct as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it, bringing it together. I just had, I've had a few busy weeks at work, and I, I didn't really get a chance to, to get myself together. So it was a matter of an evening and another couple of hours just to, or maybe less than that, just to correct uh, the mistakes I've made. Um, and make sure my army case was full of everything I needed. So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it was all a bit last minute for me. Although, sort of being mentally prepared for doing it, I knew it was coming. Uh, I knew what we were going to do. Uh, I knew what I wanted to bring. I just didn't really get the details down until, <laughs> you know, just before. And I was still printing out my data cards and things like that the night before as well. <laughs> Fair enough, but uh, what about yourself, Adam? For me, it was actually the first Warhammer, oh, sorry, Warhammer event I've ever been to. Um, so, oh, was it really? Uh, I did yeah. not know that. No, no, I've never, never really gone to anything before. Mostly, it's just sort of beer hammer with my friends. Um, it's my typical way to play. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really fun. It was really fun, sort of like theory, theorizing my lists and stuff, and trying to bring something that was narrative. So I played Death Guard and I played Gene Steeler Cult. And I, uh, I even put a poll up for the guys in the Discord because even like uh, about two weeks before, I really couldn't decide which one I I wanted to bring more, uh, and uh, went with the Gene Stealer cult in the end. Um, so yeah, trying to trying to cre- create a few lists and different combinations of the the units I had was was quite fun. Um, I think I was quite late getting my list into you as well, um, but also. Oh. Um, yeah. Don't worry, most people got it in literally <laughs> on like the deadline day. The day. There was even one or two that were the day after, so um, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. They all sort of came in within 24 hours of each other. <laughs> after sort of deciding on the, the cult and uh, and deciding on my list, I, I decided that being my first narrative event, I really wanted to bring a display board for the army as well. Um, so that was that was most of my prep, to be honest. And the, the week coming up to it, it was uh, trying to figure out how I was going to fit my whole army of... Uh, lots and lots of infantry and a couple of vehicles into a, a small tea tray <laughs> <laughs> and um, making it look cool as well but it looked excellent i mean i didn't even realize until i sort of saw pictures on instagram after the fact that you had like working leds on it and stuff yeah they were they were just from um, tea lights to be honest so they weren't particularly bright um i was hoping they'd show up a little bit more but yeah they were like flickering underneath um over the top of all my vehicles yeah, they look really good. I mean, you really set it, set the scene properly. A uh, match with the, the the paint theme that you've got with the the Gene Sealer call there, Adam. That, um, they they're quite dark and subdued, and then just little bits of light. I think actually worked really well. Yeah, it looked excellent. Um, and then I was curious, how did you find writing army lists using power level for an event like this? I know, obviously, um, anyone who's played Crusades typically builds crusade lists with power level myself included but um i know sort of seeing an event pack you know specifying power level is a a more uncommon site i guess um having been to other events i i it's my preferred way to build lists these days anyway i started doing it uh during eighth edition actually i picked up uh, fairly early 
again for the same sort of organizational reasons that i was always last minute and i'll be i'll be at work on a friday you know before lockdown <laughs> going there uh, oh right well i know i'm playing garth at the club tonight and i know i've put my army in but i ain't actually made a list and i'd ping him and he'd go yeah i've got my army at work with me but i haven't made a list and it wouldn't just be garth you know it'd be whoever it was <laughs> so we started playing power level because we were just like well we just want a game it doesn't matter does it <laughs> we'll, we'll play 40 power level 50 power level 60 power level oh i've only got 63 with me yeah no, that'll be fine <laughs> you know all those kind of conversations um and uh it's, so it's been a way I, i've been playing for, for some time because actually when you get down to it on the tabletop very rarely does does it make much difference in five points i've if i'm playing pointed lists if somebody's somebody's 25 point over and they can't quite fit it in i'm like well that's okay because it, it rarely makes so much difference that kind of detail uh of the points is my experience of playing uh, our club so building a, a power level list was was quite natural to me fair enough um and how about you adam it was uh, yeah I, I've, I've previously built a power level lists for crusade but yeah it was the first time for a for a proper game i guess that i've really thought about making a power level list and it did really take the pressure off um like it the the points were what the points were uh, sorry the power level was the power level was so um it was it was yeah it made my life a lot easier i, I definitely preferred it <laughs> nice i mean it, it was interesting how when i originally sort of planned it my intention was to use points just sort of as a sort of standard thing but i know when we scoped it with like the the community on facebook and stuff you know like on the narrative wargamer uh, facebook group and so on there was a more of a preference from everybody to try it with power level because you know with the emphasis being a narrative non-competitive event it felt like the natural thing to sort of try so i thought yeah why not let's do it and again i had positive feedback from it um in particular we had a um like a sisters of battle player there who she commented on how she'd painted up for her army all the like reliquies and the cherubs um for every squad of battle sisters but she'd never actually used them in game because whenever playing with points they just were not worth spending the points on to have a reliquary for every single five-man squad you know yeah uh, and so on so actually she liked the fact that she got this opportunity to play with these models and their actual rules without having to you know think about is it the most min max point efficient way to play this unit <laughs> I, I completely agree. There was definitely elements of my list where I, I'd, because they um, were free from a power level perspective, I'd, I sort of I wouldn't usually stick this in, but I'll stick it in and see how it performs because I can. Yeah, yeah and, and I, I think. Sorry, go on, Div. Yeah, same thing in my list. I've got a Devastator squad with an Armorian Cherub, and that's something that tends to get dropped out sometimes on, on points lists just because you're trying to find the points somewhere just to make it balance and uh, didn't even need to worry about it at all i was able to use my cool little third party squat miniature to represent that <laughs> yeah i saw that that was a cool model um uh and i know that like from my point of view if i was bringing out commandos and so on i'd get to play with all the cool toys so you don't have to worry about it i don't just need to have a, a five-man slugger chopper unit i can have my units got like one burner one rocket one shock pistol guy one breaching ram and all this it. it doesn't matter i can just have the cool toys yeah uh, the reality with a unit like that is two or three of them are going to die before they get close anyway so do, exactly. does it really matter whether they've got a burner or whether they've got a chopper 
Yeah, exactly. And it's it was an interesting exercise that when the lists were coming, obviously most of them were presented in like battle scribe formats or equivalents where the army list did present both a power level and points value for that list just because, you know, the media it was produced in included that information. Um, and I think, like, our lowest points value list was, like, 1,490, so literally just under 1,500. And the highest one was, I think it was 1,640, so sort of just over 1,600. And that was the min to max in the range across all the army lists. So there was only like 150 points from the highest value one to the lowest value one. And everything else was a smaller degree in between that. So there wasn't a huge discrepancy between the majority of the armies. I think most were around the 1,550 mark. And... I'm sure that, like, you know, the list that are on the higher end was because every unit had things like, you know, an armory cherub or a reliquy or toxin sacks on every unit, even though it's probably not going to make a big difference on a hive guard, you know, <laughs> and, and so on. Sort of things where, like, yes, it inflates the points value, but is it inflating it in meaningful ways? You know, just because the 1600 point army has 1600 points doesn't mean it's actually going to be unfairly balanced against the 1500 point army yeah we've all had games you know, no matter what, what style you're playing where you, as it plays out you go hmm why did I bother taking that unit that unit's been absolutely useful or it's equipped wrong or it's, it's in the wrong place to do the wrong thing right yeah <laughs> um, so yeah I, I felt that you know using the power level didn't cause any imbalance issues on the day um, and I didn't see any massive discrepancies in the army list as they came in to be like, oh yeah, that one clearly is benefiting more from power level than this one, you know. I think because you yeah. asked us all to build a WYSIWYG army, and because um, it, there wasn't any, like, you, you made it very clear from the start that, that it wasn't a tournament, and there wasn't going to be a winner, then I think that made it, like, so that people weren't going to start really abusing the power level system. Yeah, good. I'm like, I'm glad to hear that. I was going to ask sort of as my next question really was, what was your impressions of like the event pack itself? You know, when you were sort of having a look at what it was going to be and how it described what the event was going to be, having not been to pretty much anything like this before. Um, I really like the event pack, I, as albeit being the first one I'd ever seen. Um, it was really helpful. It, it had all of the information you needed, and uh, I, I really liked that you actually had a checklist in there saying things that you needed to bring on the day. Because no doubt I would have probably forgotten to bring my codex or something like that if I hadn't had that checklist to tick off. <laughs> Good. Glad that was helpful. Yep. You should have had a checklist of things to take away with you. So I think yeah, the you. person that yep. nearly forgot their codex, wasn't they? <laughs> yes, a, a certain jeans dealer called player did nearly leave. <laughs> Without their codex. There was a huge plasma cannon on my last table, and it was the perfect <laughs> height just to prop my tech, my my book up so I could read it whilst I was playing. And uh, yeah, whilst I was making sure all of my uh, cultists were pulled out of all the various little cubby holes that there were on that table, I completely forgot to pick up the thing that was right in front of my face. 
<laughs> well, we, we we caught you before you got too far, and you Thank came you back and picked it up. <laughs> no worries. Um. So yeah, like that's that, that's all like you know really good to hear, and uh, obviously the you were both really enthusiastic about going to it, and as were several other people. But yeah, I, I had some good feedback on the event pack, you know, sort of like the production quality and the idea of how it laid everything out. Um, I remember one comment in particular was about it did a really good job of like getting across the message of don't be a dick without <laughs> like beating the drum too hard on it, you know, and sort of yeah. like. <laughs> It, it wasn't preachy, but it sort of got the message across that, you know, like, don't turn up and be like, you know, win at all costs and don't turn up with the latest, you know, meta-busting, yeah. um, you know, lists because that's not what it's about. No, and I got that impression from it as well. Like, yeah, that wasn't... I, I was hoping that no one was going to go there with that intent, and I don't think anyone did. It was... No, I don't think so. Yeah, and, and I was really glad that um, I didn't have to push back on any army lists that came uh you know it came across to me because i was willing to do that you know like if something came across and it's like well this is nine void weavers with harlequins like no <laughs> well we're not playing that this weekend <laughs> bring harlequins by all means i'm not gonna you know prevent that but <laughs> write something that's gonna at least be a bit more enjoyable or dynamic you know than this but that didn't happen um like i say we we had some really interesting lists. Um, the, the aforementioned sisters player turned up with nine. Um, um, how are they called? The battle suits that the sisters. Paragon war suits. That's oh, wow. it. Yeah, nine paragon war suits plus more than Val, plus um, four mortifiers. So like the uh, the walking uh, paint and engines. Yep. It was basically, it was basically battle suit sisters. It was, it was, and it was nice to see them moving around the table. I managed to glance over at a couple of her games while she was playing, and they'd be certainly one of my middle game. She was playing on the table next to me, and it was, it was a little bit Benny Hill. She was chasing Chaos Space Marines around around the table. I think. <laughs> yeah, that was a good because that was the one where um, she did. They were they were playing the uh, desperation and despair scenario where. Right all six table sections because the table is entirely divided into six table not quarters obviously but <laughs> table six um and you were alternate your deployment was in three of them but it wasn't just along one edge it was that sort of like checkerboard pattern of deployment right. um so from turn one both armies are intermingled across the entire board <laughs> um which I suppose um, it bears mentioning at this point, because it's probably become a little obvious now, that if you haven't, again, listened to any of this sort of discussion or prep or concepts that have been mentioned on previous episodes or in our casual conversation bonuses or anything like that, the core concept of this event was the fact that every table had a different mission on it. So we didn't just have round one, everybody plays the round one mission and then round two, round three. Um, we actually had 12 missions in rotation throughout the day um, and that meant that everybody played a unique set of three different missions um, so like as we'll get onto very shortly um, Adam and Dave you both played a different set of three missions to each other you both played the same game one because you were opponents for game one 
but your game two and game three were different to each other's game two and game three, were they not? Yeah, I think my game two yeah. was the same as uh, as Adam's game three, but uh, obviously against different opponents, and uh, uh, that's just just the way it panned out. But there was other people that would have played three completely different missions to to me and Adam entirely, uh, and still been part of the same day, of course. Yeah. Um, and we will be hearing from them, hopefully, another, another couple of people across our future episodes because uh, I'm going to conduct a couple of little interview segments with people who are there, um, sort of discussing their journey on the day and the games they played and their experiences all, and we'll have some tales from the Crucible in the future episodes. Nice. Super. Um, so, yeah, so I guess uh, we might as well talk about your sort of first game then really because uh, as you alluded to earlier Dave you, you you got there on the day and I was very much frantically diving around between tables scurrying about in the background as everybody else was just greeting each other with coffees in hand and having an early morning chat yeah well I started early I travelled up with Cadian Dan uh, Dan probably appears on the podcast sometimes plays Cadians quite a lot and he brought his Cadians as well uh, because we go to the same club and I, I was driving past his house pretty much we both wanted to come to the event, so so we did that and picked him up. And we were both a bit <laughs> a bit nervous on the way up because we both appeared on the podcast a few times. So we were nervous more because um, we had a feeling that other people might know us more than we knew anybody else. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I got that. A lot of people, and you said, I think Adam said it as well. I really want to see the Rainbow Warriors. <laughs> You've mentioned yeah. them enough. <laughs> I want to see them in person. And uh, and you were not alone in that, Adam. Uh, which was really nice, and uh, I think people enjoyed them. Not the best painted army, but certainly a very brightly painted army, as we all know now. Right? Um, but yeah, so that was the start of our day, and we got there. And uh, once we'd figured out all the parking and stuff, we were just talking with people and waiting to get started, which was really good. But then once we did, it was uh, yeah, me and Adam playing, right? So uh, it was great to see your army in person. Of course, we've seen it on Facebook, Adam, but. Um, that that real subdued paint job that they you've given you, Gene Steeler Cult, really gives them a, a a lot of theme, the kind of sneaking through the shadows sort of theme that um, is really nice, matches uh, Gene Steeler Cult so well. Yeah, and, I, was, uh, I was going for a bit of a sneaking through the tunnels sort of vibe with them. So they're all quite dark and purpley, purpley blue, and the light on their shoulder. They've all got the light on on their shoulder. Absolutely, and contrasts so well against my rather bolder and more vibrant um, uh, rainbow colours. Yours looked amazing though, and it was it was so nice to see an infantry army of firstborn marines with so many old models. Um, well, yeah, through there. It, was, it was wonderful. Yeah, I should say that I, I decided eventually, uh, at the last minute, as I said, <laughs> to take a uh, an all infantry army of mostly firstborn. There was a unit of five. Uh, primary successors in there. That's because I discovered I've only got two painted tactical squads, not three. So <laughs> <laughs> I had rather limited myself in that regard. But um, yeah, so I had 57 Space Marines in a uh, H power level list, um, all, all infantry. So it uh, all combat squatted up. It ended up being quite a lot of squads all at once. Was actually quite daunting because yeah, you almost had as many models on the table as me. I didn't actually count how many models I had myself, but yeah, it seemed like they were very similar size armies. And I was like, oh god, they've all got two wounds. They're all stronger, tougher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and of course we were playing with the new rules uh, that came out in the was it was a fact, wasn't it, Tony? 
the data slate. So you were, the data slate, you, that's you right. were using Hour of Contempt, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah. uh, Firstborn are always, if you're not used to playing against Firstborn Space Marines in 9th edition, they're always a little bit stickier to get through, just a little bit hardier than you realise they're going to be. And it's the yeah, two wounds, and, and now the Armour of Contempt just add, makes it a little bit uh, even more so, um, I think. So, um, yeah, yeah, they, they play how they normally play, but just just a little even more stickier than usual. So I'm curious then, how did, um, so, so like I say, how was your impression, as it were, of, I guess, the build up to the first round, you know, like getting into it and me sort of trying to meet and greet everyone and trying to explain the concept of how everybody was going to their tables and finding their opponents and so on. I think most will listen to you politely because I think we got the idea from the event pack. <laughs> but you see, you say that, but I've always heard this from TOs, and again, I don't know if it's because a lot of people try to go with the standard template for an event, but I hear from a lot of like TO experience that apparently very few people bother to read the event pack. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, admittedly, maybe because of the nature of this event, it kind of was a bit more of a necessity to read it. But yeah. I, I also know that within it, I, I just wondered how how concretely this concept of you're not going to be playing the same game as the person on the table next to you was going to sink in until that first game. I think it made sense to me. Like that's what that was what I was expecting. And as as I walked through the door and saw all of the those incredible tables, I was just like, okay, this is this is going to be really good. Like you can see that, and the fact that the tables. The, the admissions you'd given for the tables were like relevant for how the table was set up, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it was really cool to see. Um, but yeah, I got the impression that yeah, like these were definitely going to be very, very different missions that everyone was going to be playing. Good. <laughs> and it's worth touching on the moment, uh, but like, how good are those tables at that venue? No, no, they're really good. You should name check the venue, Tony. Uh, yeah, I, I have done, and I was planning to do again multiple times. But yeah, we were at um, tabletop events in Velper, which is um, uh, Dave will correct me on my pronunciation as always. But um, Derbyshire, Derbyshire, Derbyshire. That's it. Yeah, I always get it wrong, but yeah. Um, tabletop events. Um, yeah, go check them out um, like on Instagram and so on. Um, in fact, I'll mention this now, but um, just in the past couple of days, obviously last week, I have been posting various posts on Instagram, including lots of pictures from the events. Um, some good, nice, clear shots of the tables themselves, as well as many sort of in-game uh, moments and photos. And uh, yeah, if you want to get some visuals for everything we're talking about tonight, uh, you, know, you can go over and check that out on my Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. Um, but yes, the the event um, was the event venue was tabletop events, and it's run by uh, James and Ed, who respectively are March of War and um, War Game Tournaments on Instagram. Um, so yeah, like they they are the two uh, gentlemen responsible for those boards and all the terrain on them, um, because one of the things that's really like unique, as it were, about tabletop events is that they're not um, a local gaming store. Like that's not what they do. They're not uh, an FLG or whatever that has a gaming space large enough to run events. They genuinely are just event venue location if that makes sense they are an event space um 
they do sell some stuff but it's basically the like the terrain kits and um like custom resin like bases and stuff that they sell and make themselves but they don't they're not like a games workshop third party stockist do you know what i mean they've not got boxes of warhammer on the shelves they don't sell magic the gathering as well and stuff like that they are a dedicated war gaming venue specifically for hosting events and it shows that you know that time and effort goes into the terrain that they have and produce and play with yeah absolutely every table was unique uh some fantastic fantastic use of the different kinds of mdf and stuff they got there but not only mdf i mean um, model railway trees and all of the other little bits that you, you get used to seeing uh, and learning how to giant see giant plasma cannons well that was mdf as well <laughs> <laughs> but a beautiful large uh, plasma cannon that we both me and Adam played on that. Yeah. Uh, that was, I mean, it was the plasma cannon itself was six feet long, and only slightly shorter than the table because it was angled upwards, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, for me personally, like I really loved the lava field one they had. That was one that I sort of like requested if they might be able to do, and I didn't know if they were gonna be able to. And then when I saw it, I was like, yes, that is just that is a exactly perfect. Yeah. You know, it, it looks great. Um, that's one of my favorite ones. But yeah. And I, again, that was some feedback I got from many people was that when they walked through the door, there were some occasionally some audible gasps from people when they actually saw the tables for the first time. It just made such a difference. Like every single table had the, the neoprene mats on, everything. Like there was just a lot of detail put in. It wasn't just pieces of terrain, there was some real height to those terrain features. Some of the table me and Dave played on to start with some of the ruins were taller than us um, as we're playing the game <laughs> yeah um there's there's but then it was all down to even the little details but there was two there's tiny little bunkers there was rubble walls and little resin pieces all over the place as well it wasn't just the big train it was the whole table it was, it was beautiful yeah. and, and many many floors i mean i started one of those uh, combat squads of assault marines off with every marine on a separate floor of a piece of building. <laughs> this is just a fun way to set up. And they were already probably five inches off the ground before you started setting them up. The lowest one, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like that was um, that was essentially the most standard 40k table because it was the ruined city table. But you know, yeah. that was the, the only one of its kind. And like you say, the, the nature of the buildings and the mission itself um, made it quite unique certainly is no L-shaped ruins in mirrored terrain setups, was it? Not at all. Gave my uh, sneaky sniper Sanctus uh, lots of places to hide and snipe out these characters. Yeah, yeah, it was good. He was uh, <laughs> in the back line and he got a good field of fire from being far up, but uh, I did my best to get my soul marines there as quickly <laughs> as possible. You did. <laughs> you didn't last long. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so after obviously you, you, you've got, you know, you've got the gist of what the event's going to be, you've got there, you've seen the tables and you get to the, the sort of start of the first game as it were. And now, as you mentioned earlier, Dave, getting the first round running was sort of running a little bit behind schedule, just given the whole, we had a couple of people running late due to, you know, like traffic issues and road mm -hmm. closures. There was a bit of um, franticness on myself trying to get all these missions set up and all these tables correctly. Um, but we got there and um, 
certainly in the later rounds, in the scheduling for the event, I had planned in a 15-minute window at the start of each round on top of the actual game time to allow players to basically read the mission they were going to be playing. You know what I mean? Like, read the mission rules, read the uh, theatre of war, and get a feel for what their game was about to be. Because given that there were 12 missions in rotation, these were not all listed in the event pack, so it's not like people could have studied them in advance. And not out of a way to like try and hide any information from people but just the fact that one that would be bloating the document in itself in the event pack to like uh, a 50 page tome yeah um and people like i don't think people are going to be reading you know 12 missions on the off chance that they play three of them because they're that tuned into wanting to win all three games at this event you know so it, it was for a lot of people and the majority of the time, reading the mission would be the first time they would get a chance to see what they were going to be playing that round. I think the fact that you put some example missions in the event pack just gave us an idea of what we'd be reading when we got to the table. But it, I must admit, when I read the first one with Dave, it seemed a little bit daunting to start with, but like realizing afterwards that it's 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 a uh, a, a, a relatively simple mission with a <laughs> environmental effect on top of that. Um, yeah, by the time I got to my second and third game, like it, it made sense what we, we we needed to do when we got to those tables, and you'd done a great job of setting everything up for us, so we didn't have to try and measure out and play subjective markers or anything like that. It was already prepared for us when we got there, so we just had to just make sense of the mission between ourselves and uh, then get on playing. Yeah. And that was my experience in all three games as well. Oh, good. Like, my frantic running around paid off then, because that was definitely the case. So I, like, I thought, you know, if I really had to, I could just leave a pile of markers next to the table and let the players sort it out. But I thought, that's not the experience I want to provide. I want people to be able to come to the tables, sort of look at the mission briefing, look at the table, and get it straight away. Yeah, no, I, and I massively appreciate that. I think it... it, it because they were such unique missions, I think it might have been a little bit of a sort of stumbling block for getting those set up. Because um, you're coming from a game where you've already been playing uh, your opponent for a couple of hours and thinking about that, I think it might have slowed things down a lot if you hadn't um, done that break before the event started. So yeah, so I, I know from your first missions, it were. Um, the theatre of war probably looks intimidating because it was actually just a lot of tables. Yeah. But what was actually involved wasn't too complicated. No, not at all. Actually, as as you say, when we actually got going with the game, I think that was part of the ba the battle was rather than just to keep rereading it, it was just to let's get going and let's see how we get on. And um, once we got going, it was really very simple. Good, like. I feel that that is one of the things which, particularly when discussing stuff on the podcast and when trying to write it up for the event pack, like I, I worry that a lot of stuff looks a lot more complicated than it is when you actually play it. Very similar to the um, guitars of the Custodes, where trying to make sense of it when someone's trying to describe it to you makes it sound like the most complicated thing in the world, but actually when you just roll the dice out with it, it's straightforward. Well, you do. I think there's... 
a couple of times we had to go back and went, oh, we just moved out that building, didn't we, in the last phase? We better check to see whether it's, there's anything there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so maybe maybe our timeliness and unfamiliarity with the terrain rules just... Uh, we got a few things out of sequence, but it didn't matter. We sorted it out between us. All good. Yeah, so your first mission that you both played together was essentially um, Abandoned City on um, Beyond the Veil. Crusade mission pack. So this is where you had nine, like a grid system of nine area terrain city buildings laid out across the table, three per deployment zone, three in no man's land. And you had to complete actions of infantry units to search the buildings and score victory points, um, progressively being worth more from your deployment zone to no man's land to the enemy's deployment zone. Um, and in addition to that, your theatre of war meant there was four unexploded ordnance markers around the table, yeah, was it? Right. Yeah. And they could periodically explode throughout the game, depending on a dice roll that became more likely the longer the game went. And when they did explode, it was a D6 table of kind of explosion. Yeah, there were you know. markers and um, grenades and basically things like that that they could have been, right? Yeah. And then in addition to that, all the buildings on the table potentially or were booby-trapped to you know, dish out a couple of more wounds to the first units entering them as they were trying to explore Yeah, I think that didn't have the biggest city. effect on our game. I think one of my first-born assault marines took one mortal wound, and I don't think you had any effects from us all, did you, Adam? No, I, th I think that was actually it. Uh, yeah. We kept rolling, and we kept hoping. I mean, the funny thing... <laughs> Yeah, as I said, the funny thing is, um, I think, again, as something which, when reading the stuff on paper, a lot of people are put off by some of these theatres of war because they think they're just going to be decimating their armies because they keep reading stuff like, and this deals mortal wounds, and this deals mortal wounds. But when you actually play it out, the count of injuries you actually suffer is so minimal that it is just adding a little bit of characterful trepidation as opposed to actually swinging the nature of the game because a building collapsed. That was it. It definitely, it definitely created a bit of drama about going into those buildings, but luckily for me, uh, David pretty much cleared them all by the time I got across to his side of the battlefield. Yeah, it was quite aggressive, wasn't it? <laughs> my, uh, I was trying to get those victory points. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it really... Yeah, it, it, it added a bit of tension and drama by going into those buildings, but it, it really it wasn't like it, it wasn't a big factor in the game. We like we were still playing a game of Warhammer, and it was really up to uh, our units de dealing the damage to each other. It wasn't to do with the battlefield dealing most of the damage by by enemies. No, no, not at all. Exactly. I mean, the, the battlefield effects and stuff they weren't really affecting your Primarch. In fact, um, sorry, not Primarch, Patriarch. Patriarch, yes. Uh, I think he was a little bit more surprised by the weight of bolt of fire aimed at him, really, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I, I was, um, yeah. Um, and careless, uh, maybe, with him. <laughs> he was going after his prize, he wanted to kill those assault marines. Yeah, um, but being assault marines, I fell them back and uh, left him exposed. <laughs> exactly, of course. Um, but yeah, um, and even the, the unexploded ordnance, when we were rolling for them, in fact, it actually benefited me. Um, that I was yeah. given smoke cover for one of my units, um, yeah. which they wouldn't have had otherwise. But uh, I, I think we approached the game in a similar way. We tried to score the victory points. We were quite aggressive in trying to move forward and search the buildings. In in theory, when I read it, I was a little bit worried. It reminded me of a scenario of Bolt Action, where the mission in Bolt Action is to 
get off the other side of the table and it's the, it's the same mission for both parties and actually there's a way to sort of kind of everybody wins that by not fighting um, and I was worried it could turn into that kind of thing because you know there were no objectives whatsoever for actually destroying your enemy was they it was no. just about searching the buildings and doing the actions and in uh, theory yeah we could have just ignored each other the whole game yeah. uh, but that's just, that's just not the way it played out at all was it <laughs> oh no I was, I was coming for you <laughs> yeah and it was good it was close I mean it couldn't have been any closer but there was only five points in it at the end um, and I think that was a fair match because I mean it could have gone still we didn't quite play out to the end of turn five but I think it still could still have gone either way I think so, so yeah definitely uh, yeah it was a really good game <laughs> cool um, so I suppose then we sort of like you know we had the the break as it were at the end of the first round which again kind of ran a little long and ran into the lunch break a little tough bit in order to sort of make up the time we lost at the start um, but I felt that most people didn't mind that at all um, most people were happy just to nip out because we were right next to basically you know a town centre um, so there was all the usual sort of amenities and you know local food places that people just grab some food and come back to the venue with um, and a lot of people I think were just there was a really good spirit coming to lunchtime, and I think it's possibly because after that first game, everybody sort of had got it, like understood what the games were going to be like, and that clearly it was working. Nobody had come away from the first round of a feel bad experience, or that clearly a mission or something hadn't worked, or whatever like that, and people were excited to play more of it and get into game two. Yeah, I get yeah, I that impression so. as well, and. Uh... Yeah, me and Dave um, carried on playing through lunch, but you were really good to be given us a heads up each time, like a few intervals, just to let us know, like if we did want to just pop out and we'll call the game there and uh, pop out and grab some lunch. So that was really helpful. Get a bit carried away sometimes playing. So coming back from lunch and sort of getting everybody um, kicked off into round two um, was actually. It actually featured what was, funnily enough, my favourite moment of the day. Um, and that was after we'd sort of listed the pairings for everybody to, you know, find their table and move their armies and sort of start getting set up and, you know, greet their opponent and all the rest of it. There was then suddenly a really unusual lull in noise in the room. And the room sort of went quiet. <laughs> and normally when after all the hustle and bustle of people moving tables and moving armies and stuff and then deployment starts and it all you know just the noise of gameplay uh, kicks up i realized i was like that's the sound of everybody reading their table missions <laughs> they get it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and i was like everyone gets it i'm not having to like immediately sort of try and you know jump in and help people get to grips with it because suddenly they're just like oh they get it this is the 15 minutes now where they've got to read the mission read the environment rules get a sense of how they're going to be deploying and uh yeah and i and it was brilliant because it meant that people were <laughs> taking an interest you know what i mean they weren't just like yep yep 40k put my models on the table so oh we've got oh, i've done it wrong oh what a mistake no people were focusing in on like right what's this one going to be like how, how's it going to be different this time do you know what i mean like, one of the things for me at that point was i was reading it i was playing against a guy called tim very nice guy with an orc army and we were playing the uh, mission where you had to drill into the side of a spaceship 
and we were going right so dave you're the attacker which means you're in the static positions in the middle of the table and as the defending orc army i don't start on the board and i come in is that right and we're going let's read that through again no no that's correct <laughs> yes yeah that one's funny because it's a little backward in the concept yeah. of the play rules until you read the narrative when you realize you're the attacking force trying to breach into the hull of this spaceship so you're defending the breaching yep. drills as the yeah. attacker <laughs> and the defender is the person who owns the ship that you're trying to breach into so they're emerging onto the surface of the ship to fight off the drills yeah absolutely you know? and then there's a little bit of confusion because the the map layout is i think that's an eighth edition mission isn't it because the map layout was designed clearly designed for it's a 6 4 uh, yeah, board adopted a little bit yeah, that's a funny thing, actually. Um, one thing that wasn't clear um, to me before going into it was whether or not we were going to be playing on 6x4 boards or the um, more traditional, more, more modern yeah. match-to-play size games because I wasn't sure exactly what the venue was going to be using because I, I'd been before and knew they physically had table sizes to fit 6x4s on, but I didn't know if they were going to be setting it up with the 6x4 or the smaller. So I had sort of tried to accommodate the missions to play on EVA, which thankfully a lot of the Crusade Mission Pack missions do that anyway. Um, but yeah, so it it was interesting uh, adjusting some of the missions. And yes, a couple of them were 8th edition missions, quite often from the, like, at the time, chapter approved or um, the original Vigilus books, um, such as, like, the Doomsday mission was another one taken from that, um, where... I had to adjust the deployment maps slightly to sort of bring them up to date with 9th edition um, concepts, you know. But I, I think overall they translated well, and I don't think there was anything that particularly... No, no. It wasn't a problem at all. ...didn't it, it work. Was nice. It was a nice, interesting yeah. mission, that one. And uh, he, I did sort of castle up in the middle with most things and then spread out to try and cover all three zones a little bit, but was mostly defending one of them. And his combat squad, as, as always, the combat has spread everything up all the time with all 57 Marines that I got. But I did manage to start because there's, the, you know, the boarding mission. But this is the one with the, the large plasma gun, the six-foot uh, macro plasma cannon uh, spaceborne weapon on, on top of the tabletop, which rose up to eye level, uh, Adam, even for you, and you're taller than me. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was enormous. It was, yeah. It was quite funny having to run around the table each time. Uh, yeah, it was almost like you had two yeah. different games going it's... on on each side of that massive gun because you had yeah, to, yeah, it really was. We, we were like, okay, we'll do all the things on this side and then we'll run around the other side. Yeah, and do everything that's going on around there. <laughs> Although I was able to start both my both halves of my assault squad right up on top of the gun, so I could decide which way to go when when I needed them, which was kind yeah. of fun thing to do. I had a lot of stuff like tucked into the the. Uh, there was a little alcovey bit at the front of the right. gun, and I, I, I couldn't actually reach in. I had to just keep reaching in, like, and just grabbing what I could um, when Dan would kill anything <laughs> because I didn't know what was in there anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess just to clarify at this point, obviously, you two are talking about when you played in two different games. So you both played this mission on this table. That's right, sir. But... You played the same game. I, yeah, I played this mission in my second game against Tim. Played against uh, Katie and Dan from a podcast in yeah. the third mission. Um, but yeah, um, it's not often that you have line of sight blocking terrain that blocks line of sight between the players. 
<laughs> but this was one of them and uh yeah again if you want to see that you can go see it over on my instagram because it was a brilliant board so we had like cranes and stuff running up the sides of it and structures that were like you know multi-tiered floor things running up the sides of this gun um and you dave in particular took real advantage of the verticality of some of these boards um yeah, I mean that that one uh, because you got these four zones uh, on the table that you you know the, and it's a bit of a binary one. It was a yes. pass or fail sort of mission. There was no no real score in there. The 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 attack the defender had to clear me out of all three zones in order to stop the attack, uh, and they could they 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 could basically kill the breaching drill in each zone by not having it any of my guys and at least one of their guys in that zone at the end of a turn and uh, one of the ways I, I tackled that particularly on one side was um, I put an interceptor squad about 18 inches high in the scaffolding of a uh, of a crane <laughs> uh, which meant they could just stay up there and fire off their auto bolt rifles and, and slowly get shot down uh, but it, they stayed there for an awful long time but it was it was to end of turn four where it just managed to clear me out of all three zones and uh, I was a little overpowered by the Orcs, but then, you know, it was this classic sort of Marine Orc matchup where the Orcs are firing on Ballistics or 5, just throwing a lot of dice and a lot of failures. And, uh, and at one point I had, I had, a, I had another squad in, in that zone over on that side. So it was a, it was a tactical squad half with a, a missile launcher in it. And they, they were running up another one of these gantries being chased by, uh, uh, three knobs in mega armor wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think so which uh, was a bit, a, a bit amusing uh, sort of thing to go on there as well but yeah tim was a great player it's really uh, fun to play against him and uh, yeah he just edged me out there and that's that's fine it was it was great uh, great story that was being told as you're running around the table trying to one half and then the other half and then figure out whether you've kept or lost the area uh, fantastic duel against a a tactical sergeant versus a Gretchen, which I got a photo of, and um, you know, all those little moments of um, so I suppose as we're sort of discussing this particular mission and table, we might as well talk about Adam's third game now first because your game was also very close and uh, down to the wire, wasn't it, for this particular mission and board? So close, so much closer than I actually thought it was going to be, um, even after the first turn. Um, I was playing against Cadian Dan, and he had a lot of infantry and indirect fire. And Gene Steeler Colt really don't like being shot at; they like to be hidden away. And uh, I had to start on the board with with basically Dan uh, using my trick of not being not having to deploy his army first, and me having to deploy all of my army before he turned up, which was a bit scary. <laughs> Yeah, um, your third, like your game, I found particularly hilarious in terms of the start of a forty k game because you were all Gene Steeler Cult blips on the yeah. table, and the orc player in null deploys and moves on turn one. So at the end of the deployment phase of this game of forty k, there were no models on the table. It was very weird, and it was very strange. It was it almost threw us off with trying to re remember what to, uh, what turn battle round we were in, <laughs> because the the first battle round was very little happened. Um, but yeah, um, I I went with a slightly different tack to Dave, and I spread myself out, and I spread myself out a little too thin, and I underestimated the uh, Astra Militarum's firepower uh, to my detriment. 
Um, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a really really fun game, and it was a really really fun scenario, and I really liked the idea that the Gene Steeler cult were were trying to board a Astro Militarum ship, and I'm guessing would then infect that them with the, the Gene Steeler cult kiss. Um, yeah, that, that really almost almost happened, but didn't quite happen. Um, we we got to um, I I wish I remembered what he shot, but he had the his one shot tank um, with the he massive got a vortex from, missile, the, de the death strike. That yep. was it, the death strike, vortex missile, and that um, he shot that into my most well defended uh, breaching zone and wiped everything from that well defended breaching zone uh, as soon as he shot it, which was hilarious. Um, and then they, after that happened, I felt like I was kind of on the back foot a little bit. Um, I had two two breaching zones left that I needed to defend, and uh, it came down to his last basilisk basilisk shot of the last battle round of the game, and that was that was the last shot his army was able to take. Um, he shot my um, my last guy that was defending um, the breaching zone and uh, managed to kill him, and he won the game just by that last shot, which was epic. <laughs> like I say, I I sort of envisioned this idea that they were trying to exterminate every single one of the you know cultists and aberrants and so on. Because if they didn't, if just a single one of them got on board the ship, then inevitably yeah. the infection would spread and the cult would start again on a new world. You and know. I like to think that happened because he didn't quite get everybody. He just got the important ones. But <laughs> there is a gene stealer hanging on that ship somewhere. Excellent. Um, so, funnily enough, then to sort of backtrack a little bit, um, as that was your third game, um, what then was actually your second game of the day? Uh, my second game was um, fighting um, like David, um, who was quite new to 40k. Um, I think he played played in the past, um, and um, was sort of getting back into night and getting back into the rules and everything. And we played the the Warlord Jewel. Yes, the um, Warlord Jewel, one of my favourites. The Mise of a Legend. Yeah, I've just found it. Um, and that was such a fun mission. I I it was one that we neither of us could have really prepared for. Um, like, um, I think his his initial intention was to be using his his Primaris Warlord uh, Captain to be buffing a lot of his units, and that got taken away from him. Um, yeah, and thrown in the, the trouble pit. is that's the case of a lot of warlords in ninth edition Absolutely, currently. Yeah. And that's it. He was he was th thrown in a dueling pit with a angry patriarch, um, <laughs> who who uh, through warlord traits had extra attacks and all sorts of stuff. Um, and yeah, the our armies fought it out around them whilst these two duked it out in the middle. Uh, they were given twenty five wounds each. And a selection of stratagems they were able to use, and uh, they—that was it for them. They were just dueling in the middle of the battlefield. It was fantastic. Yeah, so that one—it's—it was a relatively straightforward um, mission concept for like a ninth edition mission because you had four objectives that were in no man's land in a sort of like evenly spread layout, and it, your scoring is just a matter of you know hold one, hold two, hold more you know yeah. sort of standard nine fed stuff 
Um, but then the wrinkle is the fact that both warlords start the game in engagement with each other in the very centre of the table. And, yeah, they have 25 wounds for the game instead of whatever their standard amount is. So they're duking it out for several rounds of combat rather than just one quick, you know, whoever's the killiest wins sort of thing. Um, but the payoff is that the uh, winning the duel is worth 20 victory points in itself. So it does have a bearing on the result of the game as well as just being a really cool visual display of a duel between two characters yeah absolutely we um we didn't quite make it to the fifth battle round we also had um um a environmental effect on the board where the um there was tectonic instability and there was fault lines that would uh, appear across the board at, uh, by rolling dice to determine where they appeared and uh, putting more yeah. My thinking there was we've all seen many a superhero film where as the two, you know, uh, main characters, good guy and bad guy, are having their final climactic battle, the sort of world around them is quite often literally falling apart. Yeah. It really <laughs> felt like that as well. Yeah, Very good. Nice. Like, hopefully it felt like the armies themselves were clashing, you know, while around this epic, you know, duel that was happening in the t on the table and was sort of resulting in all this cataclysmic you know fallout and uh, collateral damage that they were just having to contend with while trying to hold hold their gains we actually had quite a funny scenario being both quite combaty armies there was very where the way the train was set up it was set up in a way that once the dueling zone was um once that fight had been resolved the that duel zone would disappear and we could then move through the gap and, but that was that was the only big gap in the table, and there was a lot of small gaps, and we we, we actually struggled to to get into combat with each other, being both <laughs> early combat uh, armies. But I mean, did that detract from um, sort of the oh, no, experience at all? Absolutely not. It was just something to think about. I was uh, I was trying to hide my units out of sight um, up up until the point where I could uh, break through that um, that area and uh, attack him. And uh, and sort of how how close did the duel end up being in the end? Um, I think only for the fact that obviously we didn't prepare for it. I I my warlord I I had always intended as being a bit of a beat stick, and I I gave him um, warlord traits and relics to to make him that way. Um, and um, David hadn't. He 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 was planning to keep keep his his warlord back a little bit. Um, so it was about sort of by the time it got to uh, the third battle round, um, I think I got my twenty-five wounds onto him and managed to put about I don't I think fifteen onto me. So it was relatively like clear-cut my win, I guess. But then I think after that, I think we called it that we we would probably by the time we got to battle round five, we would have definitely drawn because I think he he had the ability to hold these the, the objectives. Uh, for a lot longer than my cultists would have been able to, um, so I yeah. think he would have probably then flooded the board uh, and, and fought me back. Um, although the, the although the warlord had died, I think the army would have still prevailed. Excellent. Well, um, funnily enough, uh, in round one we had um, red corsairs versus blood angels in that mission, and it was her and blackout versus Mephiston. Amazing. Which uh, came down to a single wound each. 
going into their last round. So that was literally as close as it could be, you know. Um, so that was great. Um, they had a brilliant fight. Uh, in the end, it was Mephiston who prevailed, uh, and mostly just because of the fact that he had fight first as a like passive ability, so he got that last strike in when they were both at the point of death. Um, and then in the third round, it was actually uh, Morgan, uh, is it Marvin Val, um, the head of the Adaptive Sororitas, yeah. Um, versus uh, Winged Hive Tyrant of Hive Fleet Behemoth with a particularly lethal Relic Bone Sword. <laughs> uh, and again, I think it came down to... Uh, there might have been a little couple more wounds taken off, but it was the final round. They were both put, you know, sort of poised to kill each other, um, and it was the Winged Hive Tyrant that sort of just uh, won it out in that last round. Brilliant. Um, so I, I enjoyed watching that one and this is one of the things that again my experience that I really enjoyed while sort of running this was from round to round I was basically nipping between tables um, checking in with people to just be like is this mission making sense how's it going has the, you know has this fun thing happened yet or how's the duel going you know um, has this rule come up yet or has this been particularly uh, disruptive or have you remembered this and not to sort of like be policing people's games but more just to be making sure that the fun stuff wasn't missed do you know what i mean so that the people got to experience things and to make sure that no single mission um had been too one-sided for anybody yeah i think it was definitely helpful you did do that because um, there's definitely a few times where we'd forgotten and we're like, okay, yep, no, we'll definitely do that for the next round then. <laughs> just, yeah. just for the, the sheer sort of, yeah, enjoying Enjoy playing the game um, and forgetting that there was actually environmental effects that were supposed to be happening around us. Yeah, and again, I felt um, that was something that came up a little bit was uh, certainly in the first round there was more odd you know forgetting about things that are in play but then again you know i anticipate that to be the case there is a lot of moving parts but that's why i say i was sort of dipping in and out just to remind people that you know have you done this cool thing have you done this cool thing you know and I, and certainly in rounds two and three there was a lot less of it being uh, missed like people were more on their game with it being like oh yeah remember this remember that da, 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 da. you know start check it checking theater of war at the start and end of each battle round because that's when a lot of the things trigger um and so on yeah, it was so definitely appreciated yeah <laughs> but it didn't come um, across naggy don't worry <laughs> yeah good like I didn't, I didn't want to feel like i was coming in and sort of like refereeing people's games when they didn't need it you know what i mean um so good um and then dave what was your third game of the day uh, my third game was against hugo with his red corsairs What was it? I was the defender playing against you and Blackheart Lumberjack. Um, <laughs> yes. trying to fell the forests uh, around me to find me as I've been hiding out for a while. So I think this is from uh, one of the uh, Vigilus books, right? The, so this the was actually from uh, Flashpoint uh, Argavon. So oh, the, uh, the original yeah, okay. Flashpoint series from White Dwarf. Uh, and this was the collapse of Argavon. And yes, like you say, 
Um, the narrative was that you, as the Rainbow Warriors in this instance, had basically been conducting a campaign of guerrilla warfare and had been striking out from their hidden locations in this forested, you know, portion of the world uh, for long enough now to be pissing off Huron, and he's decided to engage in a salt the earth, burn the forest campaign policy, and uh, has brought some heretical devices designed to do exactly that and just burn away the forest around you so that you have nowhere left to hide. And um, as such, your mission was to destroy these devices before they could be used to uh, destroy too much of the forest. Yeah, and it was fun. Uh, we, the environmental effects of trees falling on powerful weapons being shot was good. It, it never actually kicked in uh, in our games. We'd, we'd keep rolling it and no trees would fall. <laughs> so it just it worked out odd that way. And... Um, he, he never decided to actually clear any trees, but I think it was the uh, Space Marine versus Chaos Space Marine, which is always a fun classic matchup to go ahead with. Um, I think we just got into it and went at it, and uh, I'd got my eye on, on trying to take out the uh, the objectives, um, but he was just trying to engage me in combat, which is, you know, uh, with the extra movement of the crosshairs and stuff, uh, it makes kind of a bit more sense than trying to use the terrain effects to clear the terrain between those two armies anyway. Uh, and especially with those, uh, what are they, the, the drop pods that can move about and fight? Drop claws? Uh, yeah, dread, the dread claws. Dread claws, yeah. Yeah, um, that was really fun. I've never played against those at all before. And he'd had, uh, he'd had his armies painted by somebody and, and, and they'd come out really nice. So it's really fun uh, playing against as well. I believe his army was actually painted by uh, James March. Um, so, oh, from uh, the place itself. From the venue, yeah, because he also does commission painting. So right. um, I think it was actually James that had painted his red cross as well. Yeah, pops of James because uh, they 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 are yeah they were really nice as well, and it just it just got really close. Um, I think he again just like uh, me and Adam were. I think I won by five points on our game when we called it. Um, I think I lost by five points on this game. And, um, if we'd have had that extra battle round time to play out turn five it could have gone either way i could have done just enough to turn that around or, or um, um i could still have lost anyway so it was reasonable to call it where we did and uh, it, yeah, it was good fun just getting it close trying to get in your face and, and um, battle away uh, he had moved slightly off one of them uh, which allowed me to deep strike in teleport in my terminators and both halves of the assault squad uh, which got into combat with a um I nearly said dreadnought, but it's not a dreadnought. It's a. It's the thing you were telling me offline earlier that you're painting at the moment, Adam. For your. Oh, Hellbrute. Hellbrute, thank oh, you. Hellbrute, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and getting that that close close combat, obviously, and you know all them power fists suddenly going. Oh my goodness me! <laughs> they they're quite powerful when they 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 hit through and all that kind of stuff that, that we've seen before, and it's fun to just play through. And the, the only mistake I made was I did set up one half of a combat squad of a tactical squad just slightly into the tower of one structure. And I completely forgot about it until I was packing my armor away after the game. <laughs> once it shoot as, once. As I'd forgotten about it. He don't think he saw it again after I set it up. Uh, so it wasn't like, you know, it was just hidden. I forgot about it. Like that. But it, I don't think it would have made a difference in the battle at all. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, Really good game to end for me. Space Marines versus Chaos Space Marines, just such a classic, right? Yeah. So, funnily enough, um, Adam sort of just asked me about this a little bit just before we started recording, but he was wondering how I did pairings for this event. Yeah. Yeah, I was just, I was just wondering if, uh, if if you'd thought about the armies and which armies would be playing each other on which battlefield and whether that would be 
a thematic thing or if uh, it was just random. <laughs> I can tell you that I spent a lot of time thinking about which armies would be playing who on which tables and which games. And it's funny, it wasn't so much from a thematic perspective as such, where like I thought, oh yes, the, uh, definitely the guard fight, trying to clear the gene stealer pull off their spaceship, you know, to prevent the infection spreading, makes a great narrative. It was more a matter of that matchup met a number of conditions that I was trying to abide by across all the matchups as much as possible, and that's kind of like where the the pieces fell. Um, right. And so it was kind of like I had a sort of like a matrix system in my head about how I wanted to put the matchups together, and that's because, um, like I said, I had a few sort of conditions I wanted to meet. So one. I wanted to make sure that where possible the armies playing each other seemed like they would have a good game in terms of game balance like there wasn't going to be anything that would strictly be like here's <laughs> if i can give you one very clear example um i avoided pairing you adam against the imperial knight player we had because yeah <laughs> <laughs> Given the fact that your army primarily was armed with, you know, like hand flamers and auto rifles and stuff like that, and you had some anti armor, but the majority of it really was going to be in aberrant punching stuff. As like, there's no scenario that I can like pair you off against this Imperial Knight army where it isn't going to feel one sided one way or the other because it's either you're going to play a mission that heavily advantages you. Or you're gonna play a game where your inability to take him out is just gonna to be too advantageous to him. Um, but the more as a consideration of, I just didn't want either of you to have a dull or dead game, because I'm sure he wouldn't have particularly enjoyed just blasting you up out of impunity. You know, to the point where the mission was null and void. Do you know what I mean? Imperial Knight players love blasting. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, I, that makes absolute sense though. I, I, yeah, I probably would have struggled to take down a knight. I think. <laughs> yeah, and taking down <laughs> five of them, you yeah. know, would have been a real task. Um, but on top of that, um, that was more just general gameplay considerations to make sure that both players involved in every game just had a good, fun game. But what I actually had as well was um, I wanted to try and create matchups where we had no. Imperial versus Imperial games all day. And that actually happened. Um, so across all 24 games that were played across all three rounds, there was no Imperial versus Imperial matchup. There was um, there was no mirror matches. So there was no like, um, you know, Tyranids versus Tyranids um, or like Eldar versus Eldar. Um, I could have and would have allowed for Orcs versus Orcs and certain like chaos versus chaos like maybe not black legion versus black legion but i had no problem putting like thousand sons against you know death guard because they hate each other <laughs> you know um and um most players ended up um if they were an imperial player um they basically played against uh mostly xenos factions all day because we only had one chaos player <laughs> Um, but if you were a Xenos race, you typically played against um, either one Imperial and two Xenos armies, which were not your own, or two Xenos and no, one Xenos and two Imperials. Um, and I think 
I think only one instance of someone who played like Blood Angels twice with his Tyranids. Um, I think everyone else played like different armies. So, for example, um, the Blood Angel player might have played against two Xenos races, but that would have been Tyranids and Necrons. Yeah. And then also played like um, the Red Corsairs as the Chaos Faction and so on. So, every game that was played felt thematically appropriate within the universe. It was all Imperial versus something, or it was Xenos versus Xenos, or Xenos versus Chaos, you know, um, in army choices that made sense. Um, and that was one of the things that I was actually really prideful about with it, because I was like, yes, you're not going to an event where you bring in your Black Templars and suddenly you find yourselves fighting, you know, Blood Angels, and then next round you're fighting Admech. And then the round after that, you're fighting Imperial Knights. And I was like, well, what, what was that? You were Black Templars. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it was really good. Like, I loved looking around and seeing like the Nids versus Blood Angels was great. Like Just things like that, just seeing the, like, the classic matchups all over the place was amazing. Yeah, I was really quite happy with how all the matchups paired off. And as an event organiser... What was really nice was the fact that because I'd planned out the matches for all the players for all three rounds before the start of the day, because wins and losses had no bearing on your pairings. Because, it, one, it was completely impossible to necessarily score every mission evenly against another. Like Dave mentioned, you two both played an all-or-nothing mission. You know, you're uh, breaching the whole one was either the attacker wins or losers. There's no points involved. So how could you possibly measure that win against someone who won their game by five points, you know, in a, uh, a victory point scoring scenario? Um, so there, would, there was going to be no internal way of creating rankings um, beyond win-loss and you're only playing three games. So <laughs> it honestly had... As soon as I looked at it and took away this restriction of having to get live data from round to round to inform the pairings, it became very obvious to me that actually what I can do here is I can craft a bespoke experience for each player because I know who they're going to be playing against, I know what missions they're going to be playing and what their day is going to look like before anybody even arrives on the day and signs in. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You can tell that you um, you'd put a lot of thought into it. <laughs> Good, <laughs> I'm glad. Like there was so much time and thought that went into um, sort of prepping stuff from the army lists to the matchups to the pairings to all the admin in the last week and before that there was literally you know weeks of work that went into the event packs and the mission briefs because you know the mission information on the tables wasn't just a here's a printout of a photocopy from you know White Dwarf. <laughs> Like everything had been handwritten and you know created as a unique graphic that was paired with its phaser of war, and everything had been read and updated to make sure it worked neatly with like nine fed rules or it paired up with the mission it was being played with. And you know, there was a lot of thought that went into it. But the best part about that is that now I have that, I have this like back, I have this catalog of missions, and moving on to future events. I can rotate in or out as many of these missions as I want. I can expand it as new books come out, new supplements come out. Like, there could be some legendary missions from Rift War 
that get added to this roster by the time we, the next event happens. And the next time everybody comes, they could easily play completely different missions to what they played before. I said on the day at the time when we were sort of doing the wrap-up that I could run this same event with the same people in the room the very next day and everybody there could play another set of free missions they hadn't played on the first day. Like, it's got that kind of built-in repeatability to attendance. And... I completely agree, yeah. Yeah. So, to sort of um, bring us to a little bit of a close, um, what were your thoughts on sort of like the wrap-up and the like awards ceremony at the end of the day? It's always great to have an awards ceremony because it's like a closing ceremony. Everybody else is finishing. And then also, you know, just a recognition of the, the really cool stuff that's gone on, which is exactly uh, exactly what you did. It was uh, exactly the kind of closing ceremony I would hope for, for any kind of uh, event. It was fantastic. Great to see uh, some relevant prizes and all that kind of stuff in there as well, which was, uh, yeah, no, it was an awesome time. Yeah, I completely agree. It was really good to... Really good to be able to come away with something, and we'll have the bit like the option or ability to be able to come away with something. Like, it was really cool to hear more about other people's battles and stuff, and uh, and uh, yeah, some like the, the prizes were really relevant, and the, some of them were funny as well. It was really good. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the event pack sort of laid out the fact that there was going to be no award for best general. You know, what I mean, like in terms of most games won stuff like that didn't matter. There would be no accolade or award for that at this event. We did have our sort of like, you know, um, best sportsman slash favorite opponent. We did have a best army vote. Um, but in addition to that, we also had a number of like unique rewards based on the experiences and challenges people have completed during the day. So um, on the match slips that I'd been handing out, there was a, a tally space to record casualties suffered to the environment effects and the space for tracking the number of like um, mission stratagems used because certain missions you know came with um, a unique set of stratagems available to players uh, and there was an award for each of these at the end of the day uh, we had the greenhorn award for most environmental casualties which um, ended up going to our own uh, daniel folly with his 17 dead guardsmen across his three games <laughs> to avalanches and similar effects um, i believe he's kind of proud of that as a guard general of course he is. <laughs> it was well-deserved and hard-earned. <laughs> um, but we also had uh, like the Adaptive Tactics Award, uh, which was for the most mission stratagems used, which ended up going to uh, one of our Necron players who had used five different mission stratagems. Um, I say throughout the day, in the end, he'd used them all in one mission, <laughs> which was the um, the Pandemic Locale mission we were talking about. And he absolutely loved it. He was saying that, you know, how... Um, it had really literally changed up the tactics of his army in that game because he'd had access to a slew of stratagems he didn't normally have access to and he was diving into using them um and he really enjoyed them and yeah he earned that as a result um all these awards uh, came with some prize support you know courtesy of uh, james and ed at the venue so they as I said were giving out um prize uh, pieces in the forms of um, so like the custom MDF terrain that they make or the resin bases and um, you know basing kits and stuff so um, and like you say we had them themed to the relevant awards so 
for Dan's casualty count, he ended up getting a bunker because clearly he needed somewhere safe to hide out. <laughs> and uh, Adam, I believe you earned a reward yourself. I did. I uh, I won the fight pit that I battled the Chimera's captain in. Uh, yeah, it was really good. It was really good to win that as well because I can't wait to bring that um, back to my friends and uh, recreate that mission with uh, a couple of my friends. <laughs> yeah, so throughout the day, all three of our victorious warlords from the Warlord Duel ended up um, winning the Champion of the Duel award, um, which all these awards came with their own snazzy little certificate, like a framed certificate piece and then, uh, say, a prize um, dependent on what it was that you'd achieved. Um, Tim, your opponent, uh, Dave, from Game 2... Um, yep. He went on to play Game 3 in the Doomsday mission where he was trying to activate and fire the Doomsday device. Um, and uh, he managed to achieve that <laughs> by the end of his game. So he earned the Exterminatus Award for activating the Doomsday device. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, got himself a set of uh, ruined buildings, which was clearly all that remained of uh, his target after having activated it. Um, so yeah, that was... Uh, that was great to have fun with those. I mean, I had fun coming up with the awards and uh, designing the certificates myself. So, uh, uh, and again, I've seen some people like, you know, posting about them on Instagram and other socials that are really pleased to get them and enjoy the experience. So I'm glad people really sort of got some enjoyment out of those accolades and those achievements that people earned. And I will no doubt be doing more on future ones and probably different ones as well to see how we can, what else we can add into the mix fun and entertaining achievements and awards brilliant can't wait um so yeah i think we'll sort of wrap this up then with uh final thoughts um if both of you could just sort of give me some little final insights about your overall impression of the day and possibly you know whether or not you would like to do it again in the future yeah, for me it was just a really great day, uh, you know, just getting into Games of Warhammer's 40k is enough on its own, but to play such varied, well-painted armies on such fantastic scenery throughout the day was just well worth on its own. And then not having that sharp competitive edge, uh, the fact you could enjoy it and relax and um, tell the stories in the game, that's what I like the most about the day. Uh, and then meeting everybody, you know, um, we, we talked online and heard Adam on the podcast but uh, I've never met him uh, before in person and the same is this, it's true for Sean and Sarah and uh, Tim and, and loads of the other people that we've seen on the, the Facebook group that uh, that were there in person as well which was uh, what made it uh, doubly special so yeah if I can get the uh, domestic uh, credit points I'll be at the next one Um, yeah, I'd have to agree with everything Dave said there. Um, it was really good to put a lot of faces to some names, um, to people that I've spoken to for a few years. Uh, the tables were absolutely incredible, and the missions, just the fact that the missions related to the tables perfectly, um, just made it such an amazing experience to to play two really nicely painted armies against uh, a really nice group of people. It was really fun. Yeah, one thing we'd not said, actually, Adam, and I think you'd agree with me, everybody brought a nicely painted army. There was nobody that had brought foxes and partially painted stuff or had stuck to a three-colour minimum. Everybody had brought, you know, 
a good, decent turnout, good-looking armies to the table, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was it, with the tables and the armies and everything. It was just like playing a, all of the, the battle reports I've been watching on YouTube. Yeah. just like one of those setups. It was just perfect. It was great. Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm glad to hear that because, again, that's kind of what I was hoping to achieve with this. I didn't just want to, you know, create, you know. 20 tables of city ruins laid out in L-shapes and stuff where people roll dice with their free colour minimum armies. Again, you know, that has its value for getting, you know, players playing and getting, you know, results in and all the rest of it for those sort of environments. But for us and for what I wanted to create, I wanted to create the best sort of cinematic experiences and moments that this game can provide. And I say the, the tables at tabletop events and the missions that I collated together for this and the armies people brought on the day really just brought all of that to life. And uh, yeah, like I want to say a big thank you myself to everyone who attended, you know, everybody who came to the first ever Crucible of War, people who no doubt most of them have listened to the podcast, you know, for the past two, three years or, you know, however long you've been listening. And as sort of Adam was saying a little bit before the show, um, part of the experiment of all this really was I've just put together an event to play the way that I play a lot of my games of 40k and the way that we talk about playing 40k on this show all the time so presumably this was going to be the the real test to see whether or not people actually have a taste for playing it the way that we promote it and it seems to be yes they do yeah, <laughs> and, yeah you know it has felt incredibly validating for me as an experience so i would like to say a huge thank you to all the listeners to all the patrons and to all the people who attended the uh, the crucible of war <laughs> i think everyone would like to say a huge thank you to, to you as well mate you were yeah, an amazing event it was really good well thank you for that and um i suppose uh, the other sort of last little surprise for tonight is that um, at time of recording, um, I can actually now tell you when the next Crucible of War is going to be. Yay! When's it going to be, Tony? <laughs> tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, I wish. Yeah, tomorrow. I, <laughs> I wish it was tomorrow, but no. Um, it will be later this year, and it is going to be on October 15th. So, hopefully, when this goes out, um, it should be that tickets will already be available and on sale from tabletop events. Um, so I've already spoken to James and Ed, and we've been like you know locking down the data for it and everything because, like I say, it seems like everybody wants to do it again. Everyone I've spoken to says they would love to go again if they can. Um, I know there were plenty of people who wanted to go to this first event but couldn't make the date, and hopefully, you know, we've got plenty of warning for people to be able to get it in their calendars and get time off work and prepare armies and all the rest of it so if everything you've seen um online uh, everything from like the instagram photos of the day everything you've heard either from this show or from friends who went to the event and have told you about it um, and hopefully from everything you'll hear over the next coming couple of episodes with uh you know segments with uh, interviews from people on the day if you want to get in on this and you want to attend the next Crucible of War, that's when it'll be. It's going to be October 15th at Tabletop Events in Belper. So, yeah, go check it out. Um, I'll be putting together 
um, a new event pack. I mean, it'll, it'll probably be more or less the same sort of event pack because, again, it'll give some example missions, but there's going to be a, a expanded roster of missions at this point. Um, you know, I've got another uh, X many months to add to it. Um, and no doubt, depending on, you know, attendance and armies involved and all the rest of it, I will pick a, an appropriate roster to fill the tables with on the day. So I'm really looking forward to doing it all again and, and taking away the sort of the experience of doing it this first time around and being able to refine the formula even more. So, like I say, in theory, there'll be a link to it in the description below uh, to go buy tickets now because they should be on sale by the time this episode goes live. Yeah, super. Oh, really exciting. Thanks, Tony. I can't wait. Really looking forward to it. <laughs> Excellent. So, yes, uh, to round off the discussion for tonight, then, that has been the uh, the first ever Crucible of War and hopefully the first of many. Um, I'm already looking forward to doing the next one. I already have plans um, on how I'm going to, like, say, do all sorts of fun new things for it. Um but not only have I been busy doing everything that's been needed for uh, the Crucible of War, there have also been many other people busy out there doing many things, and we will have our quick little community spotlight for tonight. Um, so uh, I guess I'll start, actually, with um, my shout-out for the Lost to the Nails podcast. Um, it's one that I've been enjoying a lot recently. It's a... Uh, it... <laughs> Um, it's a sort of relatively new podcast in itself, but it's from some veteran um, 40k podcasters. Um, so it's interesting because it's got a sort of, it's a bit of an everything podcast. I mean, everything 40k, everything, a little bit Games Workshop. And um, it's got some real like independent characters vibe to it. Um, so since um, Carl has sort of stopped uh, producing the independent characters as a, a regular thing now um, I've been finding that Lost to the Nails has actually been kind of filling that sort of void because it's a it's just a, a great show where they talk about all sorts of um, sort of wider hobby uh, aspects as a whole and uh, it's kind of hard to pin it down as a single descriptor for it because like last episode they talked about um, Adaptus Titanicus or that might actually have been the episode before I think but they've done episodes on <laughs> episode one was it could all start badly <laughs> um, episode four I don't hate this game episode five the black legion um, episode seven squat speculation and hope for heresy and so on and basically just a whole bunch of um, different aspects of 40k and games workshop um, related content but yeah it's um it's actually run by um, uh, Brian from the um, uh, Splinter Mind podcast. Yeah, for, it says here. Yeah, Brian, formerly of Splinter Mind, <laughs> and Eric from Variance Hammer, um, uh, run it. So yeah, um, two great guys, great show, and uh, like I say, it's got real sort of like independent character vibes. So if you've been a long time listener to the independent characters and you are missing that show now from your regular rotation then definitely go check out lost to the nails sounds really good i've just subscribed look forward to listening to it what about you adam are you going to shout out uh me i've been uh, following this instagram account for quite a while now and i've really every t chance i get i like to 
shout him out because uh, it's it's Bobo's hobby on Instagram, and um, I'm just following his progress of building a 3D Space Hulk board, and it's all lit up with LEDs, and he's like programmed his own like. Um, score counters and everything and it's just such an amazing thing to to see i think you should all go and have a quick look at it um he's got a video that just goes over the whole thing and it's all different colors for the different areas and he's done a really really good job it like it looks just like the the video game that i've been playing recently uh i've, I've just been going through his feed as a result and i have now just followed him but um i've just seen his uh aeronautica board where he's got lit up clouds on it like storm clouds with like leds and stuff yeah he's a very uh, talented uh talented guy yeah that's brilliant i'd i'd seen that doing the rounds somewhere before on instagram but i hadn't like you know found the actual like account owner as it were for that oh, that's brilliant yeah, <laughs> yeah I, i'm very jealous of his space hot board I, really I, I wish i had the time to put put half as much effort as he has into it it looks fantastic Oh yeah, yeah. I could just see the fully built-up 3D LED lit-up version, and that is spectacular. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and then, uh, Dave, how about yourself? Yeah, no, no. Those two sound fantastic, and we we usually shout out to uh, independent contributors, but I think uh, for this episode. I think I just want to shout out to Games Workshop themselves because they've been putting out more stuff that uh, excites me recently. Still, still not caught me in the Age of Sigma. That, that, that's not really firing my vibe. But um, I've started playing a bit more Depths of Titanicus and more particularly uh, Squats and Horus Heresy. Uh, feels almost uh, tragic to mention it that I just in passing that I went to the Horus Heresy weekend day yesterday. <laughs> Um, which was an absolutely fantastic experience. Really excited for the new Marxist Space Marines that I've seen in person. I painted one as a Rainbow Warrior as well. Of course I did. Of course you did. You know. <laughs> um, and, and just seeing some of the stuff that's going to come out there is, um, yeah, if people don't follow them uh, and they're not aware where they are, it's, uh, it's at on team uh, on Twitter or Insta or, or Pinterest, if that's where you want to go. Um, and I'm, I'm getting quite excited about squats as well uh, as an old hammer uh, heresy and squats are right in my ballpark and they, they're making me excited at the moment so a lot of content from those guys that are, uh, that are just uh, floating my boat Does that mean I might soon be able to tempt you into playing Necromunda since uh, a squat gang has just been announced for uh, I, I'm, I'm highly likely to pick them up whether I'll be playing Necromunda or not I don't know, I'm quite happy to play pick up games of Necromunda <laughs> Um, but I, I, there's so much of it. It's so rich and so fantastic. I just can't keep up with it and keep up with everything else as well at the same time, uh, because there's just so much fantastic stuff there. So I will doubtless pick up the squat miners, um, and, and paint them. And I may even use them in different games, uh, especially Rogue Trader where, where we play quite regularly, but, um, I don't know whether I'll be playing Necromunda with them, but they'll be there available for me to do so if if I ever choose to. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, I imagine that next episode will probably be our episode on Rift War, because um, that has now been pre-ordered and is on its way. Um, so I'll be able to dive into that shortly and put together show notes for it. Um, I'll have to see how the fun facts episode comes together for that and then maybe we might get around to doing some uh, uh, some more on crusade episodes 
Um, but as I say, hopefully throughout these, they might be sprinkled in with some tales from the Crucible from some of our other players <laughs> from the day. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to recording those segments with people as well. And uh, yeah. Um, I want to say again a special thank you to everybody who did attend the event. Um, a big thank you to Dan. Uh, Dan. A big thank you to Dave and Adam who uh, joined me tonight to discuss it. And uh, yeah, I I genuinely, it sounds like you both really enjoyed it and that uh, just is great to hear. And I look forward to seeing everybody who was there before potentially being there again in the future. That's been brilliant. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Brilliant. So probably in a more relevant statement than ever, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40 games.